Hey, like it or not, work is a part of all of our lives. Whether it's homework, housework, busy work, or the work that pays the bills. During this series, we're talking about good work. We're glad that you've joined us for this episode, and I want to encourage you to stay to the end, and I have another message for you. And before you log off, don't forget to check in online by clicking that link in the chat. Thanks so much for being a part of this series. I hope it's an encouragement to you. We are in week two of our Good Work series. Remember, we're saying this, works don't make you good, good makes you work, right? Being a good person does not save you, it cannot save you, and we know that clearly from the word of God. You are saved by grace, through faith alone, not by works, lest any man should boast. But why does the Bible talk so much about good works? Well, it says, if you are good, you have made, been justified by the blood of Jesus, you will work. And so we're, we're looking at this as we go through Nehemiah, where now Nehemiah is in the guts of the work that God has called him to do. And I want to open by asking you a challenging question. I know this is a challenging question because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something you need to talk about in your small group or with your family. Uh, give an opinion on this question, and it's a little bit of a back and forth uh, idea. There may or may not be one solid correct answer to this, but... When it comes to marriage, right, so husband and wife, when it comes to marriage, what makes a stronger marriage? Is it for richer or for poorer? What makes a stronger marriage? Is it for richer or for poorer? Now, in all honesty, when you're there saying the vows to your lovely uh, wife or husband in that moment, you are hoping for richer, right? 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 Like, we're all like, let's go for the richer one. We want to be one of those couples where well, I'm going to marry you in for richer or for poorer, but I hope it's not poorer, right? Now, which one makes for a stronger marriage? You could make a case in both of these scenarios and list some pros and cons. And for some of us, we say, well, if, I'm, if we're rich, we're going to have a stronger marriage because We'll have, we won't have the stress of worrying about the day-to-day, paying our bills. We're going to be able to have surplus and, and help people and provide for our family and give our kids a good education and a head start and all this kind of stuff. And, and so, therefore, we'll have a stronger marriage. Or is it because there's a lot of stuff, life has gotten more complicated. Instead of caring for one house, you're now caring for two. Instead of one car, you got lots of cars. More money sometimes means more stress. It sometimes means more more options and now I'm I'm traveling the world and it's exhausting right and and maybe maybe having more money is not better you know you care about your car you don't want it to get scratched if you're poorer on the other hand your car's already got dents and scratches and who cares who scratches it right if it has one more dent not going to hurt anybody but but if you're poorer you might have the stress of what are we going to eat how are we going to pay the next bill what are we going to do for work how can we how can we uh, give our kids the, what they need to succeed in life. And, and maybe being poor 
uh, though, is strong for your marriage because it gives you purpose. It gives you unity. It makes you work together in crisis. You don't, you don't have all those distractions of all those options of world travel and lots of houses and all that stuff. Which one is better for your marriage? Now, I want you to think about this in the time of Nehemiah. Imagine being married and raising a family when... Nehemiah, when Jerusalem has been destroyed and it's now being rebuilt. The whole city is working hard at rebuilding these walls, but they're living in a dangerous place without the protection of the walls. They have enemies all around them. Most of the people have been sent off into exile, and they're just trying to squeak out a living. Would it be good for your marriage or bad for your marriage? Would it be good for your parenting or bad for your parenting to be someone who is uh, alive during this time in Jerusalem. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. If you have your journals, um, we're in chapter 5 of the book, page 22. In Nehemiah chapter 5, we're, we're now getting to the regular rhythm of work and rebuilding the wall is happening. But while they're rebuilding the wall, which is, takes years and years and years, uh, they're trying to live life. Nehemiah is obviously now in a position of leadership in the city, and he's, he is helping direct and steer things. And this conversation of for richer or for poorer comes up. In Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and their wives. All right? You know we've had enough when the wives are speaking up, right? They're not, they are done being quiet. We're going to have a conversation. This is, this is mama bears coming out. This is not correct. This should, life should not be this way. The foot is down. The foot is down. And they're going to come out and have this, this conversation. And so even the wives are speaking up. And here's the issue at hand. Verse 2. For there were those who said, with our sons and daughters, right? So now parenting is involved in raising families. With our sons and daughters, we are many... So let us get grain that we may eat and, what's the next word? Keep alive. They were in danger of dying for lack of food. The situation they were finding themselves in, in their marriage, was not for richer. It was for poorer. In their city, it was not for richer. It was for poorer. They were in dire straits. There was a famine that had taken over. They were being oppressed by the the Persian Empire, taxes were outrageous, and they were having trouble just putting food on the table, and now it's time to figure out what's next. In verse 3, there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the family. In other words, everything I own is on Facebook Marketplace. You've, you've seen the joke about Facebook Marketplace, right? You, you, you sell stuff that should be thrown away on Facebook Marketplace. And uh, you, you put something up for sale for five bucks. Best case scenario, you get five bucks. Worst case scenario, your family gets murdered, right? Who are these strangers coming to my door? Facebook Marketplace is where we're, why? Because I got, I, we, people, some people, that's, that's how they're going to make an income right now. Because things are crazy. And so in Jerusalem, the families are selling everything they have. They're mortgaging their, their fields, their workplaces, their buildings, their homes. Why? So that they can put, so, so we can have money to pay the king's taxes and have meals. Verse 5, now our flesh is at the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves 
Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it's not, not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and vineyards. Now that we've sold everything on Facebook Marketplace, we're saying to our kids, go work, go get a job. You're, you house fourth grade, great, quit it and go work. And they're actually having to sell off their kids, enslave their kids so they can eat. Verse 6, Nehemiah's response to this. I was very angry when I heard their outcry at these words. I took counsel with myself. This isn't self-talk, like, like let me give myself advice. This is, I'm going to pray, I'm going to meditate, I'm going to take a period of, of discernment. And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials, and I said to them, you are exacting interest from your brothers. And I held a great assembly against them and said, we are as far as we are able, have brought back Jews to this place that have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers so that they may be sold back to us. Then they were silent, and they couldn't find a word to say. So I said, and this is something you can circle, the thing that you are doing is not good. Remember, Jethro said this to Moses, what you are doing is not good. We're in a series where we're talking about good works, and we, we believe that when you are good, when you're justified by faith, the righteousness of God has been poured on you, you work. And today we're learning this from Nehemiah, good works to help the poor. Good works to help the poor. And what rich folks were doing in Jerusalem, instead of helping the poor, they were doing what was not good and they were taking advantage of the poor. Look at the next verse, uh, verse 9. It says, so I said, the thing you're doing is not good. Ought you not walk in the fear of God to prevent the taunts of our neighbors and enemies? In other words, don't you fear God? Aren't you scared of what God is going to do to you when you take advantage of the poor? When you do not meet the needs of the hungry children around you? When you do not help the wives that are calling out in distress? when you take their property and their homes, when you charge them interest and make more money for yourself, do you not fear God? Why should someone who oppresses the poor fear God? Well, because God says over and over and over and over again, if you are a part of the kingdom of God, it is your job to help the poor, the widows and the orphans, not to hurt them. And here the nation was starting to go against God himself. Verse 10, moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money. In other words, Nehemiah was doing all that he could to help. Let us abandon the exacting of interest. Let us return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their orchards, their, and their houses, and return to them the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that we have been exacting or stealing from them. Then they said, we will restore the things and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and I made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my garment, which is just another way of saying I turned my pockets inside out. My, the folds of the garments where they kept stuff, like it was their pockets, it was their carrying apparatus on their clothing. And he flipped them inside out to show that they were empty. I, I, sh I shook the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. You see, Nehemiah chapter 5, 
verses 1 through 13, is demonstrating for us this powerful truth that good is supposed to work to help the poor. Not only do we see this here in Nehemiah, but we see it over and over and over again in Scripture. That, that the mission of the people of God is to help the poor and needy. Look at Proverbs. One of my favorite verses, one of my favorite books of the Bible is Proverbs. And here are three Proverbs that share this principle that Nehemiah is reinforcing in his day. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, God, will reward them for what they have done. Right? If you, if you want to receive and see the blessing of God in your life, how does the Bible teach that we do that? We are kind to the poor. Proverbs 14.31, Whoever oppresses the poor, which is what was happening in Nehemiah, shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. In other words, Proverbs teaches that helping the poor is an act of worship. Now, some of you thought that worship was over after the last song, right? Like, worship is singing a song to God. That is not the only form of worship. It is a type of worship. We are called to be lifelong worshipers of God, not just on Sunday mornings when we sing, but all throughout the week. Well, how do I worship God with my life? Proverbs 14 teaches when you meet the needs of others, you honor God. You worship God. Meeting needs is worship. It's how we honor the maker. Now, in Proverbs 28, verse 27, it says, those who give to the poor will lack nothing. That's a powerful statement. How many of you don't raise your hand are lacking something? Maybe you don't know where you're going to get the next meal from. Maybe you don't have a paycheck, uh, or you don't have a, a regular paycheck coming in, and you don't know how you're going to pay those bills. Maybe you're missing something in your marriage or in your parenting. Maybe there's some emotional deficit that you feel where it's lacking. You don't feel connected to God. You feel distance from God. You're lacking in some way in your life. How do I deal with that lacking in my life? Well, the Bible says if you give to the poor, you'll lack nothing. You'll have all of those things. You'll have connection with Christ. You'll have relational strength. You'll have emotional fortitude. You'll have provision for your financial and facility needs. You will have food on the table. If you give, God says, I will give back to you. I don't know how this works. We just call it God math. And it's literally the only thing in the Bible that, that God says, test me on this. Give. Give to God. Give to honor the maker. Give to help the poor. And you will lack nothing. Watch, I dare you, and see what God does. But those who close their eyes... Those who turn away, those who ignore the plight of the poor and needy, to them they will receive many curses. In other words, when it comes to helping others, there is no neutral ground. There's no middle. Either you are or you aren't. If you are, God's going to take care of you. If you are not, God removes the blessing. God even says you receive curse. Maybe there's, maybe there's undue hardship in your life simply due to Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27. As followers of Jesus Christ, he's called us to good works. Let your light shine before men so they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And those good works must include helping the poor and needy. In Luke, 
a new character arrived on the scene, and the character was John the Baptist. John the Baptizer, as he was known. He was brought, brought on the scene before Jesus to prepare the way for the Savior and the Messiah to come. And John the Baptist started teaching radical stuff in the wilderness. And, and everyone was coming out to hear what he said. And they were teaching him all new ways to live. And, and, and one of the things he was talking about was caring for other people. And finally, the nation of Israel said to John the Baptist, Well, with everything that you are teaching, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? And John gives this incredible answer in Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. He says this, John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. I read this verse this week. Let me read it again. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Every single one of these are my shirts. It's not even half of the shirts that I own. I mean... I have all kinds of shirts. I'm wearing two shirts right now. I don't know why. I had two. Last week I showed you my Costco sweater, right? I'm proud of that. I've been wearing that this week. Jenny said I'm not allowed to wear it today. I got this shirt uh, when I was in college. My roommate worked on the security team, and so he had this. And then when he was done, he's like, I don't want the shirt. I'm like, I'll take the shirt, right? I think that's how it went. Pretty sure I didn't steal it. I wore this shirt... Uh, uh, several years ago to a Phillies game and, and everyone thought I was on security including the Philly fanatic who came up behind me, spun me around and planted a kiss on my face. I have been kissed by the Philly fanatic in this shirt. I have, a, I have some of the OG Branch Life shirts from kind of back in the day where we started. I have some shirts from some of our community partners, Anchored Ministry, who's doing great work in our region. I got this shirt from uh, some campers. I was a camp counselor, and the kids went out to the mall one day, and they came back with the shirt. And we said, they said, Josh, you're a great counselor. We just want to say thank you. It's one of my favorite shirts. Also not allowed to wear that on uh, Jenny's orders. But, but all of these are my shirts, right? Even, even this one that for some reason I haven't thrown away, and I've, I've kept not allowed to wear that one in public either. Now, when I read this, right, what are we supposed to do in response to the coming Messiah? If you have two, you should give one away. I'm like, whoa. Are you saying that if I have $2, I should give one? If I have $200, I should give 200, I should give 100. If I have $2 million, I should give a million, right? If I have two cars, should I give a car to someone in need? And when I start even considering this this reality, I ask myself, what's better for my marriage, for rich or for poor? What category do I fall in? I think I'm richer. I think I've, I've been blessed by God to have an abundance of stuff, and maybe, just maybe, I haven't been fulfilling the call of God to whom much is given, much is required. And it, if, I, if I look in my closet and it represents an embarrassment of riches... What am I doing in the name of God, in, as a part of the kingdom of God, to help people who are, not, who are less off than I am? We've been given a lot. And imagine the amount of good we could do if we just gave half of our stuff away. 
If we just blessed half of the people out there, I don't know know what your view of poverty is, but poverty is a very complicated issue. And there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of debate on what can be done and what should be done about poverty and about people that are, are poor, people that are dealing with hardship and hard times, meeting the needs of the needy. If you've ever looked at poverty, I don't know if you've ever looked at poverty from a biblical perspective, but I want to give you kind of a biblical worldview on poverty. And this isn't without controversy, but this is what the Bible says. When you look at poverty from the Bible, the first thing that we see is poverty comes from the fall. Where does poverty come from? Why does it exist? Why is it here? Why are there so many people that are hurting and suffering? So many people that have need, don't have an ability to have a shirt on their back. Why does that exist and why would God allow that to happen? Well, poverty comes from the fall, fall, both spiritual and material. Not only are some of us dealing with physical poverty, but some of us deal with spiritual poverty. There was a time in all of our lives where we were spiritually bankrupt where we did not know God, where we were separated from God. And because in Genesis chapter 3, because mankind through free will chose sin, sin entered this world and it broke this world. And in this broken world, there is death, there is disease, there is famine, and there is poverty, both spiritual and material. And Jesus said that the poor you will always have with you. There are some groups and some organizations out there whose aspiration, whose mission statement is to end poverty in our lifetime. And I have nothing against that aspiration. I think that would be an amazing thing to see it happen. It's just never going to happen. The issue is so complex. It's so dynamic. And every, in every part of history and until the Lord returns Poverty will exist in some form. I'm all for lessening it. I'm all for going after it. I'm all for helping people that are in need. But the fact of the matter is that the Bible says until God ends it, poverty will exist. But God will end poverty. God will end poverty. God will fix the brokenness and the root causes of what causes mankind to fall into this complex pattern of of poverty will be fixed by God. Poverty then, because of God, in every form will end. If you look at the beginning, we know where it came from, but we also know how it's going to end. And in Revelation chapter 21, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. New heaven, new earth, new systems. And to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. You see, God in his ultimate plan will fix the brokenness of this world. Now, you may want to raise your hand and say, well, God, fix it now. Why are you letting poverty happen now? Why are there people starving in in parts of the world now? God, will you do something about it? And God says, I have done something about it. I've sent my only son that whoever may believe in him will have life and life everlasting, and God is changing the world right now, one heart at a time, until the day that he returns and makes all things new. Well, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Well, that's where he has called the church to help the poor. God says, between the creation and the return of Jesus, the church is my hands and feet, my representatives on this earth. We are to be active in helping others, because helping others is an act of worship, when we know and love Jesus. And so we should be marked as a church by our heart 
for the poor and the needy, for the help that we give to the widows and the orphans, to those that are in pain around us. Matthew 25, what powerful passage this is. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When you give someone a cup of water, it's like you're giving it to God himself. When we help people, we worship God and we make a difference in our broken world. And so it's no wonder that verse after verse after verse that was written to the church gives us these instructions. In 1 John chapter 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, right? You and me, we got stuff, baby, right? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Once you have been saved by Jesus, given everything spiritually, relationally, and physically by God, once you have been a recipient of the kindness and the love of God, you can't help but give that love to others. Because who much is given, much is required. And when we love like Jesus, we can't help but meet the needs of others. Let us not love with words alone or speech, but with actions and truth. In James chapter 1, the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Being polluted by what? How do I not become a lover of the world? How do I not need a shirt in every other color? How do I not want more cars and vehicles and stuff? Why? Because you know if you could spend that on yourself, yes, you could do that. It might make you feel better in the moment, but you could take that same energy and that same love and that same desire, and instead of accumulating more stuff for yourself, the love of the world, you actually give it to other people. I saw Pharrell, Pharrell Williams uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a famous person, right? He came out today, uh, this week, with a brand new man purse that you can buy. And you ready for the price of it? One million dollars. It's got alligator skin, it's got gold zippers, and it's a bag. What a disaster! Why would anybody spend a million dollars on a bag when there's people who don't have a meal tomorrow? And when we, as followers of God, prove our love for God by our works, we're not spending a million dollars on a bag that I can get for $25 at Target, and I could take the other $999, $997, $75, and help people with it. That's avoiding the being polluted by the, the love of the world. When we've been captured by the love of Jesus, we then must capture others with that love. And maybe you're here going, I don't get it. I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. That's, that's some spectacular love, but how do you get that? Well, it comes by a personal relationship with Jesus. 
Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you decided to become someone who puts your faith and trust in God, knowing that you are completely in need of his saving? There's nothing you can do to save yourself, to feed yourself, to rescue yourself spiritually. Only God can save you. We are completely poverty-stricken spiritually. But when God in his love for us said, I'm going to send my son for you to rescue you, if you accept the free gift of salvation, if you choose to become a follower of God, he then saves you by grace through faith and fills you with the love of God. If you've never decided to become a follower of Jesus, you've never experienced this true love, I want to invite you into that relationship today. That God would become your Lord and Savior and that you would see the love of God firsthand overflow into your heart and your life. It feels amazing to be a part of the family of God and to know that love. If you have any questions about your own personal relationship with Jesus, on our webpage you can click the Follow Jesus link. And you can get more information there. The QR will take you right there. Or you can talk to any one of our prayer team members after the service. And we'd love to answer your questions about your personal faith in Jesus. Over and over again in the Bible, we see story after story after story of kingdom-minded people who lived out the mission of helping the poor and how God blessed them for that. We learn that good works to help the poor, and we see that in Boaz, King Josiah, and in Dorcas, and yes, that's her name. In Boaz, remember, we talked about Ruth last week. She was someone who gleaned the field. Boaz was the field owner. He, he was blessed by God. Well, why was he blessed by God? Because in Leviticus 23, gave Boaz his marching orders. So Boaz obeyed the law when it says, when you reap the harvest, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So don't take everything out of your field. Leave some stuff behind. How, how hard is that? In other words, God was giving Boaz some instructions, do less work for more, right? Don't pick it all up, leave some of it behind so that others can come and pick it up and feed themselves. And Boaz was true to this, we know it from the story of Ruth, and that's why Boaz was as successful as he was in life, because he cared for the poor. He also happened to find an amazing wife because of his generosity. Boaz was blessed by God for his heart for the poor. King Josiah was known to be a king that, that helped people, but his son was not. His son was the kind of guy that wanted to build the bigger mansion than the other guy and have the nicer statue than the last guy. And Jeremiah comes to Jehoiakim, King Josiah's son, and says, Jehoiakim, having a lot of cedar in your house does not make you a great king. It's kind of like saying having a lot of gold furniture does not make you a great businessman. Having, having a... a the new, nicest and newest car doesn't make you a great American. Having, having the, the marble top, is it what we want now? Marble top counters, counter granite top. Having the nicest kitchen doesn't make you the most popular person in your neighborhood. No, no, that, that's not what makes you great. Instead, your father, Josiah, he was satisfied to have food and drink. He was satisfied to have what he needed to provide for his family and he did what was right and fair, so everything went well for him. Josiah helped the poor and needy, so everything went well for him. He, he was someone that was focused as a king on helping others, and God blessed that. Dorcas, uh, in Acts chapter 9, 
we visit her funeral. And while visiting her funeral, we see what other people were saying about her at her funeral. In Acts chapter 9, it says that Dorcas was full of good works and acts of charity. At her funeral, it says this, All the widows stood beside him, Peter, weeping and showing their, their tunics and their garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. In other words, when they were mourning the loss of Dorcas, what they came out with, the widows and the, and the orphans and the needy, is they came out with all of this stuff. See this outfit that I'm wearing? Dorcas made that for me. See, see this, this hat that I have? See these clothes that I'm wearing? Dorcas did that for me. She, she met the needs that I had as a, as a widow, and she was marked by this. It brings up this very natural question for us as a church, for you as a family, and for you as a specific individual, teenager, grandparent, small group leader, are you full of good works and acts of charity? What would you be remembered for at your funeral? Are you full of, of good works and acts of charity? As the church of God, we are to be known as people who are full of good works and acts of charity. That should mark us. But here's the question that I have for myself. Am I? When's the last time I helped someone in need? Not, not just my friend that was having a, a, an off day, but someone who, who was poor, who didn't have a meal, who didn't have a shirt, someone who was, who was working as hard as they possibly could, but were just stuck, someone who was in the middle of a disaster, someone who lost a loved one. When's the last time? And do I do it a lot, or is it rare? And here's what we learned last week, and I just want to remind yourself, uh, remind us about today. It takes hard work to be known for good work. Here's what I know about Dorcas. She didn't accidentally give all the widows new clothes. It just didn't like spontaneously happen. Oops, here's your new clothes. She thought about each one. She went out and she bought the materials. She personally made the patterns and the stitching and put them together. She wrapped it up. She took it over to where the widow was. She delivered them the gift and gave them words of love along with that gift. That took time, commitment, expenses, effort, energy. That took evenings, took mornings, it took weekends. And it takes hard work to be known for good works. It's going to take all of those things and more for you to be marked by good works. But that is what God calls us to do. And so the question we are asking ourselves is simply this. How, do, how can we consider to stir up one another to love and good works. How can we do this better? I'm, I'm in, Josh. I, I'm in. I want to be someone who regularly helps other people. I just, I just don't know how to do this. Our job as a church is to stir up one another to good works. We're supposed to give each other ideas, to, to talk about it, to figure it out, to strategize, and to go all in. And that's, that's the whole purpose of the Good Works Challenge. This, if you're new to Branch Life Church, this is something that we do from time to time. We do challenges. We talk about how to put things into action. And it's something that I love about Branch Life Church. 
is that we don't just sit and talk about it on Sundays. We do it throughout the week and throughout the series. And we want to do the Good Works Challenge together so that we can stir one another up into good, up, uh, to good deeds. And here's, here's the challenge. Will you be involved in surprising acts of love motivated by Jesus this holiday season? How will you be involved in surprising acts of love motivated by Jesus this holiday season? You and your friends, your families, and your groups. And the challenge is that you will talk about this very thing. What can we do for a neighbor? What can we do for our community? What can we do in secret or in public that could help someone in small ways and in big ways? And we as a church are giving you options. We're going to be involved in food box, 250 food boxes for Christmas. We're going to be collecting toys. There's all kinds of things we're going to do as a church. But what about, what about the thing that only you can do? The thing that only your friends can do, your family can do, and your group can do. Let's go all in and do what God has called us to do. And, and the way we want to visualize this and stir one another up is we want to take note of the thank you cards that will come in after these sessions, these challenges are done. Now, thank you notes, as I said in the email that came out this week, even Jesus only got one out of ten people to say thank you. And so what we're asking you to do as you serve other people is not to require payment of them or ask for anything in return, except when they say, what can we do, how can we pay you, how can we say thank you, ask them to write a thank you note. And if they write a thank you note, we are going to have this cylinder here provided for me by one of our, our, our awesome neighbors. And we want to fill this with thank you notes all through the challenge. And we want to share some thank you notes on each of the Sundays that the challenge is active. And maybe you don't get a thank you note, but someone says thank you. Write it down on a card, on your weekly check-in card, throw it in here, turn it in. We'll, we'll represent it in this bowl. But I want to read for you, I have several thank you notes that have come to the church over the past several weeks. I want to read for you one that we got last month. This note uh, is personal for us, my wife and I. Because we were recipients of your good work. As most of you know, my brother-in-law got sick. Uh, he got diagnosed at the end of April with cancer, and he passed away in June. He was just in his early 40s. I have five nephews and a niece that now no longer have their dad. You guys, as a church, went all out to love my sister-in-law, who's now a young widow. And I think you lived out the spirit of this. As a matter of fact, I think Branch Life Church in general, we do an amazing job encouraging one another to good works. And I am privileged to be a small part of that. And I just would love to see God do more. Christy wrote down this note and she addressed it to Branch Life Church and she wanted it to be shared. And apparently she thought it'd be a good idea if I shared it. I don't think it's a good idea, Christy. She said, I couldn't do it. You have to do it. I said, fine. Pray for me as I read this note. It says this, Branch Life Family. There are not enough words to tell you how this church has touched our family's lives. Recently at a church service, you talked about all the things that God has done through your church that are making a difference, and it sounded amazing. I wanted to stand up right there and tell you what an impact you've had on our family, but I knew I wouldn't make it through. So I wrote this note. You all have made us feel so loved and cared for these past several months. Whether it was sending us gifts or money or praying for Nick to be healed or flying Jen to Michigan or giving 
Josh time off so that they could come and be the hands and feet of Jesus. I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I would have not made it this far without them. And God has used you all in incredible ways. I feel like you guys were loving us through them, and it's beautiful to see. I may never understand why God chose to take Nick home, but God does not ask me to understand. Instead, he asked me to trust him. Whenever I don't know the next step I'm supposed to take, I just look to God's face. I see his caring eyes look right down into mine, and God says, do you trust me? I take his hand as I take that next step, no matter how scary it may be, because our God is so worth trusting. He is so good no matter how bad our circumstances are. Nick has left a giant hole, and I hate that our kids have to grow up without their dad. But I I know that God is not going to let them down. He has wrapped all of us in his arms. And I say all that to say this. Thank you for being in the arms of Jesus. Seeing your love for our family has been beautiful. And I would love nothing more than for Josh and Jen to move to Michigan. But seeing the love that they have for Branch and hearing the heart that the church has for the people of Pottstown, I know that you all are exactly where you need to be. It has been fun to see the church grow and to see all the amazing things that God is doing. And God has planted you here for a reason. Thank you for being a second family to my amazing sister. And isn't Jenny amazing? Please know that we are so grateful for each of you and we cherish, cherish you and cherish your prayers as we walk this hard road ahead with love, Christy, and the kids. As we think about the Good Works Challenge and we remind ourselves that we need to be marked by this, I just thought it was fitting that this thank you note would be the first note that would go into our thank you jar. And I want to say personally to you as a church, thank you. Thank you for taking up this challenge, whether informally or formally. And if you have been touched or if you've been received a thank you note at any time, we'd love for you to add this. There's, there's dozens of notes that have already come in, and we're able to see the way that God is using you. We just want to put these into this uh, jar and see it fill over time as we work together to be known for good works and acts of charity. Now, as you, as you go out and start helping, let me just give you a couple of tips, and you're just going to need to take a screenshot of this because our time is gone. This is tips for helping without hurting because sometimes it can hurt to help in the wrong way, and I know that this is a concern, so where do we start? Number one, start if you don't know where to start, start with people in the church, but don't stop there. God has designed us as a church to care for one another. I know mo- most of you are aware Maggie Shaner had to have a, 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 broke her hip, and she's in her 90s, and she had to have her hip replaced. The surgery didn't take, and she had to have a second surgery. It's now been months that she's been in and out of the hospital. There has been a group of ladies from Branch Life Church that have been contacting her and loving her every day. Good job. Keep going. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Start with people near you and around you, but don't stop there. The second thing I want to say is money may be the worst or best way to help, right? Sometimes money is the worst thing you can do, so don't just give money, but sometimes it's the best thing you can do. But it's always, and I know this is true, it's rarely the only way to help. There are always things that we can do tangibly to help other people and always think, what else could I do 
instead of, instead of just giving money. Thirdly, do, do not meet the short-term need if that keeps someone from solving the long-term need. And this is a very complicated uh, tip. I'm just going to have to leave it there. Sometimes when you help meet a short-term need, that empowers somebody to, to continue further down a road they shouldn't go. That's just something you want to be careful of. How do I know that? How do I avoid that? Well, this is, this is the, the best tip I can give you. Work with trusted experts. In other words, partner together with people who know what they're doing in these different areas. Whether it's homelessness or providing food or dealing with addiction or recovery, work with trusted experts because we are better together and, and that will help you beware of bad actors. And there are people that want to take advantage of your charity and we don't want to get sucked into that role. Working with trusted experts will help you avoid those things. We have, we have dozens of trusted experts here at Branch Life Church that we're connected with, different ministry partners like Anchored and other community uh, organizations that we partner with. Why? Because we're no expert at all this stuff, but we know people who are, and we're coming alongside of them just to be better together as we serve people in our community. And lastly, with all of that being said, always err on the side of generosity. When you're not sure what to do, if you're not sure whether to give it or withhold it, just err on the side of generosity and watch what God will do. You see, we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God gives to you if he can give through you. God gives to you if he can give through you. So let's be a church, let's be a small group, let's be a family, let's be individuals who God can give through. Why? Many people will never open the Bible to find out how much God loves the poor. But they will take notice when followers of Jesus, like you and me, care for the poor. You are the light of the world. Let your good works shine before men so they can glorify our Father in heaven. And your good works may be the only Bible that some people ever read. And so we want to be known for these good works. And we pray that God will open the door for us to love our neighbors well. All that we have left to say is simply this. Let's get to work. Let's get to work. Dear God, Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads and our hearts today, we thank you for the abundant blessings that you've given us. Lord, an embarrassment of riches. And we ask, God, that you would help us to use our wealth to use our time, to use our energy to make a difference in the world around us. Until the time that you come again and make all things new, will you help us to meet the needs of those that are hurting and broken? I thank you, God, for the reputation already of Branch Life Church as a church that loves to help people. God, may we always be marked by the love for others. Help us to worship you with all our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbors as ourselves. God, we pray that this thank you jar would fill over the next couple of weeks and months. And God, that, that we would be able to hear small stories of big differences that people are making. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening all the way through. I hope this has been an encouragement to you as we've talked about good that works. Good that makes a difference. And I hope that this has made a little difference in your life. We'd love to hear from you before you log off. So go to branchlife.church and check in with us no matter when you're watching this video. I wanna encourage you to be a part of our next episode, whether it's online or even in person. And, and I've been praying for you. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you next time.